Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Anyways, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. Our mission here is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We do here what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style, it just might be a bit different than what you're used to or different churches in the area, but we want you to know we still take God very seriously here. We want to guide you and encourage you in your weekly walk with Him. This week, we're wrapping up our series that we've been calling Carry the Torch. The last two weeks, if you've been here, I mentioned I'm all about fire and torches and flame. Bigger the flame, the better. Well, it was still on my mind, and at first I was thinking, ooh, kids program, silent night, candles, bigger the flame, the better. Not in this situation at all. We decided to, like, err on the side of no candles at all because, whew, that would have been scary. But anyways, for real, when I think of torches, I, I've talked about a snow-removing flamethrower. We've talked about burning a Christmas tree. Uh, but this week, I'm thinking about Survivor. Has anybody watched Survivor before? Or like the TV show Survivor? Yeah. Okay, any big Survivor fans like when it was cool like 20 years ago? Okay, maybe. Um, well, if you don't know what Survivor is, here's a little clip of, of kind of what Survivor's like. It's like these epic people doing epic things, and there's flames everywhere. Well, anyways, the show Survivor was to last on the island or a, a certain area with a bunch of other strangers and not get voted off and persist the, the elements amongst all the strangers. But if you did get voted off or your time on the island was done, this is what happened. You had, each person had a torch, and like what would happen is you, if you got voted off, your torch would be there, and all of a sudden the host would then extinguish your torch. In the show, your torch burning signified you're still in. You're moving forward, and you're holding on, pushing to the end. You want it to be the last torch burning. I mean, the show Survivor's Torch, it's still burning like 41 seasons later. That's quite a flame. But like Survivor, though, and for this series that we've been covering, we've talked about carrying a lasting torch. And for us, that lasting torch is carrying a torch of faith and the ways of Jesus. We are purposely carrying it on through living it out in our personal lives, our families, and as a church. Because God not only wants us to do these things individually, but God wants us to pass it on to our next generation. He says this in Psalm 145.4. He says this, Our one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty works. So although we're, we're, we're like Survivor and wanting to keep our flame going as long as possible, we are actually completely counter to the game of Survivor and its methods and strategies because we don't want our flame to outwit others but actually we wanted to ignite others, to grow so that it's not just us in the end, but everyone. Have you thought about that before? Are you carrying the torch of faith? Or in other words, living a life that has faith evident. Is your family one that does that? Is our church or your church doing that? How are you carrying the, faith, or the torch of faith or igniting others? 
Those are the questions I hope this series has been answering for you. Here at Centerpoint, we don't want to just encourage you to live aimlessly or to just wing faith or wing church because there are actually clear directions in the Bible of what every Christian or what every church should do. For this series, we've been following this monomic statement of what every church should do or what every Christian should do. It's what lots of other churches follow. It stemmed from Saddleback Church. It's a church that Rick Warren was a pastor of. Uh, he wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. It was a huge book. Tons, millions of people read it. But anyways, he, he had a purpose-driven church, and these were these things that he thought were important, and he got them from the Bible. Worship, evangelism, community, serving, discipleship. What every church or what every Christian should do. These are core actions of the church developed directly from Scripture. And to carry the torch of God in each of these is to model these in your life, your family's life, and as a church. This week, we're wrapping up by talking about evangelism and talking about community. Evangelism, a basic definition, I looked it up for you. It's the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. And then community, here's the definition of community, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. I want to see these or read these. I mean, I'm like, cool. But it's not really like inspiring. It's not really something I want to carry the torch of. But what if we think about it this way? What if we think about it as a way we, we kind of have modeled as a church here? And uh, think about evangelism this way. We are intentionally living like Jesus and sharing who he is by doing anything but sin to try and carry the torch for God's kingdom. As a church, we are trying to reach who no one is reaching, so we do things no one is doing. And then for community, as a church, we are focused on helping Others start and grow both purposeful and meaningful relationships with each other that are life-giving, God-honoring, and authentic. Yes, right? Like, that's inspiring. That's exciting. I want to be a part of that. I hope you do, too. But do you carry the torch of that? Do you carry the torch of community and evangelism? Does your family, does your church family do that? So how do you actually do that? If, that, if you're like, I'm on board with that, like, I like those things, but how do you actually do that? Well, first, for evangelism, let's talk about that for a while. How, the, the question is, it, it's a real one, right? Because there's tons of people that evangelize out there these days. How do you do it? What's the best way to do it? Is it, is it becoming a street preacher? Like, being on the street, preaching about Jesus. Is it, is it fish stickers on your car? Is it handing out posters or pamphlets at events? Is it worship concerts? Is it paying off medical debt for everybody? Is it shot glasses? Uh, we did that here at a church. We gave shot glasses away. Is it dog poop bags? It's something on my radar that maybe we will do. We'll hand out dog poop bags with the logos on it. Is it kissing booths? We had kissing booths here for married couples. Is it, is it posts on social media? Is it churchy shirts? Like having like cool churchy shirts? None of these are necessarily wrong, but which one should we do? And, and just because maybe you see Centerpoint or some people you know from Centerpoint on some of these doesn't mean we did it or always do it right. What does the Bible say about how to evangelize? Well, if we look to Jesus and how he did, he was an expert at it. He evangelized in such authentic ways, yet so simple as a whole that we can observe and replicate for ourselves here in Fond du Lac. For Jesus, there are a number of people who he shared faith with in the Bible. Some you might be familiar with and some you might not. I'm going to just list a few for you first. So the first person is Zacchaeus. He was a short man. He climbed up a sycamore tree, is kind of how his story goes, to see Jesus teach. 
Well, Jesus sees him up in a tree and he calls out to him. It's in Luke 19, 5. It says this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. He went and stayed at someone's house. He had dinner with him at someone's house. He literally, Jesus, invited himself over. There's another man. There's another man that we're going to talk about today. Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, meaning someone that knows the rules of God, who knows kind of the ways of God. And it says this in John 3, 2. After dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Well, this man just kind of randomly shows up to Jesus in the evening. Well, like today, when someone drops something like that, like a statement, like, we see you doing all these amazing things. You're like, yeah, you're amazing. But there's always a but, right? Like, there's always, like, a, a but with it. And not like the Sir Mix-a-Lot type of but or anything like that, but, but there's always a but, and like, more statement, more questions. And Jesus senses this with this man, Nicodemus. And he starts to have a faith conversation with him after that by following up with answers to his statements. I got to pause there once, just because this one hit me really hard as I was going through this this week. I felt convicted as I read about Nicodemus. Uh, this is embarrassing to say out loud as a pastor, but if you showed up late to my house one night, I'd be like, how about later? Let's go later. Let's talk later. Especially when someone drops a statement, not like a question, not like a quick thing, like a statement that is obviously expecting a lengthy response. Now, I'm not convicted to the point to say, like, come on over to my house whenever you want. I'm not convicted to that point, not necessarily. But it brings me to the question of, am I ready to evangelize even when it's not my timing? Even when it's not my timing? Even when it's a Pharisee or today, someone who is religious these days, but maybe not a Christian or maybe not a Jesus follower, but someone that wants to kind of kick the tires of faith and just kind of talk, it, talk the talk with you for a while. I hope, I hope yes. I hope I'm willing to do those things. I don't know if you can relate to that, that tension of not wanting to do those things, though. But I know I need to change in situations like that. And that's me. But what about you? Anyways, again, Jesus starts sharing words to this man's statement, Nicodemus' statement. There's another person we're going to look at. There's the woman at, at the water well. Jesus starts making a conversation with this random woman at a well. It says in John 4, 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and it's just Jesus and this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Even though that was like countercultural back then, Jesus to talk to a woman, Jesus to talk to a Samaritan, those were like kind of like, well, he's doing some, some edgy things here. Well, even though he even knew she had a rough past too, she had kind of a, a, a sketchy past. And he might, he might get kind of looked weird for talking with her or connecting with her. Yet he starts a conversation with her and connects with her to the point that she ends up inviting her whole town to know and learn about Jesus. There's another woman. There's another woman who Jesus evangelizes to. She's caught in adultery. It's in John 8, 4. It says, Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, What do you say? Jesus feels for her. He has empathy for her. He stops the thro stone throwers, helps her up, and says, go and sin no more. That's how he evangelizes to her. There's one more person we're looking at. There's a rich, young ruler who, who's kind of got it all. He's got all the things. He's kind of following God to some extent and wants to keep everything he has but still be honorable to God. 
Well, Jesus gives him honest truth. In Matthew 10, 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus is honest with him and gives him next steps to people who are ready for something, something more, something more. When I think of these stories at first glance, for lack of a better word, I see Jesus as kind of like a schmoozer. Has anybody heard the word schmoozer? Is that, is that a word these days? I, I don't know. Schmoozer? Don't take offense to this if, that, if, you're, like, it's, if you see it as an offensive word. But I see it as kind of like someone you know that, that kind of does like what this person describes. Check it out. People at a party or a networking event is what can I do for the other person? And if you keep that in mind, you would be a world-class schmoozer. A world-class schmoozer. Who knew that there would be, like, introductory videos teaching you how to schmooze? Uh, I didn't know that. This might be the most awkward video I've ever shown on a Sunday. I didn't realize people needed to be taught how to be a schmoozer. But anyways, I think what he says, though, is worth talking about. Are we thinking about what you can do for the other person? Especially when it comes to evangelism. Jesus seems to have done that. But not with changing anything of who he is, not with lying, not with a bait and switch type thing, but literally connecting with people with where they're at. Have you been around a schmooze before? Someone that's like a classic schmoozer? Someone who can literally talk to anyone, connect with anyone, start a conversation with anyone, bridge a gap with someone that's different than you? Are you one? It's not me either. So if you're like, no, no way, that's not me either. I've shared before, I'm actually an introvert here, uh, which is kind of weird for people that just know me from church. I, I don't really like talking with people. I'm, I'm, I'm a little awkward. But I had this friend who was an amazing schmoozer, and it worked well for him in connecting with people, and it also worked well for him in his dating world as well. But it carried over for anyone this friend that I had, he had confidence and met people wherever they were at. Wherever we were at, he would meet people and schmooze. It was kind of awkward to be around. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'd be with all my friends. We'd be hanging out. And then all of a sudden, he'd be like, hey, here's so-and-so. They're coming to hang with us. I'm like, what? I thought this was like a friend thing. I thought we were like just doing a friend thing here. Or we're at a restaurant, and all of a sudden, like, the worker at the restaurant is eating our chips. I'm like, what's going on? This is, no, who is this person? And then, like, he'd also be really good at being inclusive, inviting other people to be a part of whatever we're doing. He would be inviting random people who were a lot of times, I'm not going to lie, were kind of out there, kind of weird, kind of strange. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not saying that you have to become a schmooze to evangelize. Or even saying Jesus was a schmoozer, as again, some of us maybe see that as a negative word. But there are some very common themes to evangelism, the way Jesus evangelized, with what my friend who schmoozed did, and today's definition of schmoozing. If I'm speaking too young for you, or honestly maybe too old, as I think that word's kind of out these days, people don't use that, uh, and aren't really sure what schmooze is, I looked it up for you. Here's the definition. Someone who knows how to talk to people in a friendly way, especially to get what they want. Jesus knew how to connect with people to get them to at least consider the life he wanted them to live. Let's look at a few people that we talked about in the beginning here. We have Zacchaeus, we have Nicodemus, woman at the well, we have the woman caught in adultery, uh, and then we also have the rich young ruler. Now, honestly, many of the ways Jesus evangelized to each of these people in these stories, as I mentioned above, although they may look different for us today, the concepts are the same and they're things we can replicate. 
The first one, he initiated a conversation with those looking. That was with Zacchaeus. He called out to Zacchaeus and he said, I'm coming over to your house. I'm coming over. I'm coming over to your house. He was someone who showed some sort of curiosity. He was in this tree, right? So Jesus made the date for them. For you, has there been someone who's wondered about if you go to church or not? Or someone that's asked about your faith or asked about what you do on Sunday? Has someone ever like, liked one of your maybe spiritual posts you've done? But you know they're not fully connected to this somewhere. Start the conversation. Make the date. Come to church with me this weekend. Let's go get a drink and let's talk about faith. Let's watch the game. That was the first one. That's what he did with Zacchaeus. How about the second one? Uh, he was adaptable, available, and approachable. For Nicodemus, that's what he was. Jesus' schedule was adaptable to the situation, and he made himself available and was approachable for some random church dude. Would you do that for someone? Would you do that for someone? Are you open to someone asking you questions about faith that's maybe in your neighborhood? Do you have a person that knows that they can come to you no matter what, whenever, and that you will help make things happen for them, that you won't judge them in their questioning? Maybe you, maybe you need to become better at one of those. Or the third one, the woman caught at the well, or woman at the well. He met people where they were at. He built a bridge. He literally went to a place, Jesus went to a place where people who are in need of faith were going to be a well. That's where he met this woman, at the well. He's also in scripture often seen in the streets, in the market, in the public places. He went where everyone goes. Not just where church people go, not just where like Jesus followers went. He went where he, where he knew other people that were non-God followers would be. Are you in places like that? He went and mixed with normal non-God following people. Are you doing that? He built bridges for those that were far from him by becoming a friend uh, to those that are very unlike him. Are you doing that? I, I, I know I need to work on these. How about this one? He had empathy for the woman at the well. Or he had empathy for, or for the woman caught in adultery. Jesus saw the woman was about to be stoned as she's caught in adultery and had empathy or shared feelings for her. He wanted to make her well. He cared for her. He understood her pain. So he evangelized by showing her love over being legalistic. Are you willing to put, your put yourself in the shoes of others and empathize with them? Do you think you can connect with them and show that you care for them? This one should honestly be easier for us than, than Jesus because in our situation, we've all been the person that's caught in some sort of act, that's caught in some sort of sin or some sort of mess up. And we should be able to have empathy because we know it hurts, it sucks. Because we've all been there. So be real about that and use that to evangelize. And then lastly, Jesus was confident. Jesus was confident with the rich young ruler. Jesus was confident in telling people about what he believed, what he knew was right, what he was all about. He told people his ways boldly. He gave them their next step. Are you confident in what Jesus has done for you and why you need him and why others need him? Of all these if you're here as a Christian person today, which one do you need to work on? Which one do you need to work on? Honestly, lots of people are, will come to me and they'll be like, where do I start? Because, and I'll be like, I, I, I don't know. Like, these are things I've got to work on too. Like, you know, it, we're all like kind of in this together. But people will be like, where do I start? How do, which one should I start with? And what I tell people is do what worked for you to help you become a Christian. Do what worked for you to help you become a Christian. If you're a Christian now, don't do what you want now. 
do what would have worked for non-Christian you. Honestly, that's what it's formatted a lot of what we do here at Centerpoint for our evangelism. Things that have worked maybe for me when I, when I was like not a Christian, for maybe you, we've, we've talked with other people, and like those are where a lot of our ideas come from, is like, what would have worked for you if you were a non-Christian? And then also, what's just worked for people that are a part of this church to help get them here? And these are things that we've tried to model for our evangelism practices. This sounds like the obvious thing to do in the church. It's not. It's not, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something that's a little bit raw, a little bit honest about Christians. And it sounds like I may be venting with you. It kind of is. It might come across critical, and I don't mean to be. I'm just trying to be real and honest as possible here. But, but if I look back on my experience, uh, I remember in college, it was a time I, I chose to step away from my faith because I wanted to do my own thing. And truthfully, I didn't really believe in God. I didn't really believe in God fully. And I grew up going to church, a good church, I just didn't want anything to do with faith. But I remember lots of people tried to evangelize to me. Lots of people. And it was awkward and not good, actually. <laughs> people were on Main Street by the bars late at night stopping you. People were with signs saying things that God hates. And I was like, okay. People were handing out tapes on the streets. Actually, I'm not that old. They were CDs. I'm not that old. People were trying to get us to come to their churches, movie showing, or try to get us to come to their churches, worship concert. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. No. People were, were with a megaphone yelling out, like, hey, repent. I'm like, what? People were wearing Jesus shirts. and like, hey, we got one for you. I'm like, no, I'm good. People were giving me pamphlets that said, the Bible says this is a sin. And I remember thinking, I don't even know if there's a God. Why would I believe the, what the Bible says? I mean, I was a past-going church person, but honestly, all these things, they turned me off and pushed me even further away. Again, I don't mean to be critical if you've maybe evangelized this way, but this was just my personal response, my personal experience. You may be connected with one of these ways of evangelism, which is, which is amazing, and honestly, maybe that's a sign that you should do it for a group that's like you, that's, that you have a network with, that maybe you could connect with. But I remember being so turned off on these things, the attempts people had. No, I also do want to just say being here, years later in ministry, I see these people had passions and hearts for evangelism, and I give them props for doing what they felt God wanted them to do and tell them what God told them to do. But if I keep going for me and my experience of that, what reached me and got me back to Jesus, to becoming who I am today, of someone that's trying to follow Jesus the best I can, was real people was real people, Christian people who were in a relationship with me even though I wasn't a professing Christian with them. They would let me ask the real faith questions that sometimes they didn't know answers to. They'd let me observe their life choices. They were there for me and being just a friend with me without bringing up faith every single conversation. They were there for me when I tanked or chose wrong, not in judgment, but they would give me empathy relating to me and pointing me in the direction they experienced healing with when they were like me. What evangelized me was Christians doing what I think exactly is what Jesus did in the Bible to evangelize others. Almost all the people we mentioned today uh, above that Jesus interacted were people he developed a relationship with. Not just someone he dropped a, a comment to or set a statement at. As you're here, I want you to take a second to think. What and who evangelized to you? What worked for you 
as a non-Christian? And then ask yourself, are you doing that for others? What didn't work for you? Do you find yourself doing those things? Stop. And then once you know what it is that worked for you and, it, and seeing if it aligns with Jesus, make those happen. Do those things. As a church, a lot of our evangelism and attempts here at church is first to model what Jesus did. We try to model Jesus as close as we can. And then from there, the things that have worked for people that are part of this church. You heard me say that earlier, but these are the things that we've kind of pulled out of that, is we provide a safe place for people on Sundays to come and check out a service, to relax, to know, that they, to know what, exactly what they can expect on a Sunday morning and approach God at their own pace. Uh, we also host events that are, aren't necessarily church events by nature, but events that people can see Christians live out their faith in public, and in a non-weird way. Things like having a bag toss tournament together, having live 90s music at, at a bar, whatever. Doing non-church things through a relationship. That's another huge thing. You always hear us talking about getting into a life group, get in a life group, be with other people where you can grow together. And then lastly, simply normal or honestly purposefully weird things at times to make it easier for you to initiate conversation with others. Things like we gave away shot glasses once. Give us a shot for espresso. We gave away, uh, uh, we're thinking about giving away poop bags. We, we've, we've done a kissing booth. We've done music at a bar. These are all to help us become a better schmoozer. Or if you don't like the word, simply a better extrovert. Some of these things, I'll be honest as a pastor here, they're weird. You're right. They are kind of weird. But again, it's to reach people who no one is reaching. So we are going to do things no one is doing. We do all this because our ultimate goal is not to schmooze or, or to evangelize for the purpose of something insignificant or for personal gain, but it's to bring people closer to Jesus. It's to honestly help them find meaning, restoration, and more to bring people into God's kingdom, into God's community which is our second topic of today, is community, right? I mentioned, I mentioned Survivor in the beginning. Uh, and again, it's a show where there's a bunch of random people trying to outwit one another, trying to win a million dollars at the end, being the last person standing. They're directly competing against each other. They're all different, different backgrounds, different lifestyles, all different. They have all different strategies and ways. Yet what they've walked into of being on the show is the collective desire to do this challenge together. To do this challenge, to try and win. That is where there is community with them. They're willing to do weird stuff. Check it out, like, one of the, the things that they have to do. Get a good grip. Three, two, one. This challenge is on. You guys have been out here for 26 days living. People sign up to do that for fun. Yeah, the show is full of intense battles, challenges, drama, and more. But there's natural community that forms amongst the group of people that are doing this together. They're all, they all wear buffs. That's where the community is from. No, just kidding. Uh, but they're, they're, they're collectively doing something together. They're trying to survive the elements. They're trying to outwit each other. They're trying to be this one united community. It's the same with God. It's the same with God and the same with God's church. 
God's community or a church community, it's simply people who have decided Jesus' forgiveness is something they need, and his way of living, being other-centered, is the God-honoring way to live. That's community. When you realize there's a bond between that, that's where natural community forms. In Jesus' time, that community was his followers. It was made up of people that Jesus evangelized to, like the woman at the well, the Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, the religious leader, the rich young ruler, the adulteress, all messy people with one common unifier, choosing to change for Jesus and living out his ways. Today's community of a church, although not always the case, it shouldn't look much different than being people like that together, collectively. People who are messy or have been messy, finding common ground in one main unifier, their need for Jesus' forgiveness and following his ways. Instead of bonding over the church's music or style or teaching or theology or politics or interests or life stage or ages or whatever, a church's core community should bond over the common need of Jesus and our common pursuit of Jesus' ways. That's it. Acceptance of people within Jesus' community did have some class or creed or laws they had to follow. It was admitting that they are messy and they're seeking God's ways. That's what community should be in a church. And one of the best ways to remind ourselves of that is communion, is communion. Communion was this time uh, where Jesus brought a bunch of messy people together at a table. And he said this in 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 26. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me as he was breaking bread. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me and as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, was a time where Jesus' people were a community. It's you saying, I'm in need of these things. I'm in need of Jesus. As we wrap up today, we're going to take communion in a second, and we're going to reflect on how we're a community together because of our collective need of Jesus. I'm in community for that, and I want others to be in community because of that. So in a second here, we're going to take communion. We're going to bond as a group over the most simplistic part of being a community, but the only part that matters to Jesus Our need for Jesus and his way of living. That's what matters to him. If you've never taken communion before, here are a few things you need to know. Communion is something that Jesus says to do to remember him, his ways, and remember the community we are invited into and accepted into because of him. It's eating bread and drinking juice or wine at some churches. And we use packets as they, they're a bit more COVID safe these days, right? Um, But you can grab those cups. They're actually in the chairs there. And anyone here can take communion at church uh, at Centerpoint. As long as you are a Christian, if you believe in your need for Jesus and want to follow his ways, communion is for you here. If you're unsure or not like ready or not sure if you're a Christian, no worries. You can just sit and sit still and and just kind of reflect. And I give you a ton of respect for doing that because it shows that you are taking God seriously. But today, maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, I find myself in search for meaning, for forgiveness. I want community. If that's you, maybe right now... You can tell Jesus that you want to follow him. You want to follow his ways. 
You want to start a relationship with him? And maybe today's the first time that you can be a part of a community and also partake in communion. What communion is going to look like for us is we're going we're gonna to do one thing first, and it's what Scripture tells us to do. It's in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, examine yourself. Examine yourself uh, before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. What that means is, is just take a moment to make sure you've asked for forgiveness with God. You've looked to God's, forgive, to God's forgiveness. So we're going to take 30 seconds to do that silently, where you can just ask for forgiveness, make sure things are good between you and God, and then we'll take communion together, where we'll take the bread off the top and then the juice at the bottom. I'll give you 30 seconds as the band plays. All right, let's say communion together. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, it says this, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the bread. Then it says in verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. My hope today is after taking time to take communion as a community, as a church, of very different people here today. It reminds you of what a church community is founded on. It's founded on Jesus, his forgiveness that we all need and our desire to follow him. And through that desire, it should lead us to want to evangelize, to bring others into this community because Jesus is for anyone. Are you carrying the torch of that? Is your family, are we doing that as a church? As we wrap up, I'm gonna pray that we see community as purely that and that we are inspired to bring others through evangelistic ways because of that ways that have moved us personally but that are also aligned with jesus if you want to pray with me and pray to have that happen for me personally and to think that way and to approach evangelism that way you can pray with me right now dear heavenly father thank you for today thank you for giving us clear examples of how to evangelize god i just pray that you help us experience community community and the rawness of, of the fact that we just simply need forgiveness. And we're part of a community because of that. And we're also part of a community because of what you've done for us. So help us embrace that and see community as purely that, that we can bond over the fact of our 
collective need for you and our collective desire to follow you. Help us evangelize to others so that others can come to know that and be a part of that as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.